Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 7. Simply titled the message tonight, Ministry Gifts. Ephesians 4 and verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So tonight as we think about the ministry gifts, several things I want to notice. I'm not going to get through all this passage tonight, but I'm going to try and get through verse 12. But I want you to notice, first of all, the person of the gifts. Now, the gifts, we'll, we'll see some of the, what the gifts are in a minute, but the persons the, of the gifts, in verse 7 it says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Unto every one of us. I believe that God, in his grace and in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he is sovereign, gives gifts to every one of his children. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, again it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So again, he uses that phrase, unto every man, every man. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now you may say, I don't have any gifts. But the Bible says every man. Is the Bible true? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is the Bible true? You know, I think sometimes people will say that, and I, maybe I would have said it one time, I don't have any gifts. But you know, gifts have to be developed. If we, if we don't have any gifts or think we don't have any gifts, maybe there's some problems in our life. Like, first of all, Maybe we're not submitted to the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 20 and 21, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 20 and 21, the Bible says this, But in a great house, and it's comparing the church to a house here, in a great house 
They are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. That word sanctified means set apart or separate. As we look about this morning, separate. And meat, that mean, word meat means fit or something that the Lord would use. Meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. See, not every person in the body is prepared for every work. There may be things they can do, but, um, you know, for example, we just don't ordain anybody to the ministry. There are certain qualifications, biblical qualifications, they have to meet. One of them is not a novice. You know, in other words, he's just a newborn Christian. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ordain just a newborn Christian. Uh, so there are certain things. So we're talking here about, about useful vessels or sanctified vessels or separated or we might say consecrated vessels, those that are willing and uh, are, are submitted to God's will. You know, King Saul, you know, God, God uh, chose King Saul, although the people really liked him, but, but, King Saul, but King Saul was not submitted to the Lord. And therefore God rejected him as king and sought him a man after his own heart, who he said would fulfill all my will. And that man was David. You know, and, and, and God is not partial. But you know what? He has standards. He has standards that we must meet if we're going to be usable. Or we might even say the, the more, more usable. Because the, the, closer we, we, the closer we grow to the Lord, the more usable we are in his sight. So, so it may be that you're not submitted to the Lord if you think you don't have any gifts. And, and, and you know, we all have standards. I often said to my children, if you're going to put your feet under my table, there are certain expectations. There are certain requirements. If you're going to live in my house. Yeah. Um, certain expectations. In other words, there are certain standards that they had to abide by as my children, as living in my house. And I'm sure all of you families have those same kind of things. Maybe you haven't spoken them in such terms uh, and, and written them out, and, and you don't have to, but you children know there are certain requirements that go along with being in their, that home. Uh, and so we all have standards. And so maybe we're not submitted to the Lord. Secondly, maybe we're not willing to exercise our gifts. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 5 verse 11 says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're a dull of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
You know, the word senses here means the faculty of the mind for perceiving things or understanding things. And, and what he's saying here is you have to exercise your senses. You have to try them. You have to use them. You have to put them to the test. Or allow them to be put to the test. And sometimes, and I know this from experience, we don't want to exercise our gifts. You know, I hate to admit this, but even school teachers recognized I had a gift for speaking. I got some award, and I don't know why I got it, but I got it during when I was in middle school. And then when I was in high school, uh, that we had in FFA, Future Farmers America, which I was in, we had a, uh, uh, a uh, yeah, I can't remember what it was called. There was a speech contest, but before the speech contest, there was a, a writing contest. When I, I, I was happy to do the writing contest, but I was not doing the speaking contest because you have to get up in front of people. And this boy does not get up in front of people. Well, I submitted my report for the writing contest, but I did not offer to, you know, it wasn't required, so you didn't have to do it. So I made no mention or gave no indication that I was interested at all in the speaking contest. And so there was a couple other friends of mine that were a year older than me. One was my cousin, and, and uh, they, they just, you know, they, the teacher, he kind of persuaded them to enter the speaking contests, and they were out there working on speeches and all that, and finally, the teacher came into the classroom and said, Jason, come here. So I went out in the shop where they were working, away from the rest of the class, and he had my report. And he began basically to read it. He said, this would make a good speech. You ought to enter the speaking contest. You have, you have what it takes to make a good speech. And I did. I entered the speaking contest. Not because I wanted to, but I did. You know, and, and that was kind of the way I had to be persuaded to really uh, go into the ministry because I fought it. But, but you know, we, sometimes we're not willing to exercise our gifts because of fear. Or maybe it's because we're envious of others' gifts. And really, the root of that is we're not at peace with ourselves, and, and I think the root of that is pride. Uh, sometimes people want what someone else has and has worked and exercised to get it and don't, doesn't want to do or submit to what the Lord has for them. And a lot of that is just pride. You know, my problem was pride. You know, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, he says, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to humble ourselves and accept what God has given to us and use it, use what God has given us for his glory. No matter how base it may seem. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low. You know, pride sends a lot of people to hell because they weren't willing to humble themselves in the sight of a holy and righteous God. And so 
we see here the person of the gifts. Secondly, I want to note you notice the proportion of gifts. Notice again in Romans chapter, or not Romans, but Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, uh, the proportion of gifts, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he sent it up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So it's according to the measure of the gift of Christ. The word measure means a determined extent or a portion measured off. It would be like you measure off a portion here and that's yours. God has measured off a portion for you and given it to you to use for his glory or as a gift. Again, Romans 12, 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God hath, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. 2 Corinthians 10, 13, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which Christ, which God hath distributed to us. See, Paul recognized that God had distributed a measure to him. A certain gift to him. And he said, A measure to reach even unto you. He had been given the gift of an evangelist or missionary, as we call them today. And so, because of that, he had reached even to the Corinthians. That was, he wrote that to the Corinthians. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, for, for example, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. This is kind of emphasized over and over again in that passage where it talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11 says, Now there are diversities of gifts, in other words, different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You know, there's different workings in the church. Uh, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will." So we see here very clearly that God is the giver of the gifts, and we are to accept and use what he has given us, to profit with all. Again, verse 8 says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And, and notice, I want you to notice here, and, and I'm not going to get into tonight all about the ascended and descended. Of course, we just to... to kind of give you a little bit of understanding of that. You know, Christ descended into, the, into, into Abraham's bosom, was in the heart of the earth, paradise is in the heart of the earth, and, he, and they were held captive there until the blood of Christ was placed on the mercy seat. So he ascended there, took the gospel to them, led those captive out of there, took them to heaven, of course, sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat, and that's what it's talking about. He descended and led captivity captive, and then he gave gifts unto men. And he did that to fill... All things. And of course, it's a reference to the church. Provide all the needs of the church. And it says, and he gave some. Here's his gifts. Some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. It's to some. It's not to all. Not all apostles. 
We're not all prophets. We're not all evangelists. We're not all pastors and teachers. Let's look at these a little bit. Apostles, of course, we mentioned this morning that apostle is a delegate or a messenger, one sent forth with orders. And, of course, in the strictest sense, in the New Testament times, you know, the apostles, you had to have seen the risen Christ. They also had special powers. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4 talks about these. Hebrews 2, 3 and 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now, I want you to notice, he says, he confirmed it unto us by them that heard him. So those who were on earth and heard him preaching, that spent time, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw the risen Christ, and he said them that heard them, and it was them that gave witness with signs and wonders. It was the apostles that... that Worked miracles. You know, we, we know that Peter uh, uh, worked miracles, and, and Paul, Peter and John and Paul and, and others worked miracles. And, 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 of course, there was speaking in tongues and all those things. But, but, but apostles, in that sense, have ceased. There are no apostles today. Nobody living today has seen the risen Christ. They might say they saw him in a vision, but I'd say it's a nightmare. It's not biblical. So the apostles and sign gifts have ceased. They've ended, to, they really ended together. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, you remember Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, commended the church at Ephesus because it says, Thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. There are no apostles today, there are sent ones. We are sent out into the world, as we mentioned this morning. But we're not apostles like the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. Second, he gave some prophets. Now, the word prophet, the uh, Thayer's lexicon describes the prophet as the prophets that appeared in the apostolic age among the Christians. They are associated with apostles in that they discerned and did what was best for the Christian cause and foretold certain future events. And the religious assemblies of the Christians being suddenly seized by the Spirit. For example, we learned a couple weeks ago about Agabus. Prophesied about the dearth that was to come upon Jerusalem. And it did. And then he also prophesied and he grabbed Paul's girdle. And he said, with this girdle, they're going to bind the man that owns this girdle at Jerusalem. However, you know, as we think about these prophets, the other thing it says about, it says, being suddenly seized by the Spirit, whose promptings, however, do not impair their self-government. In other words, they were not out of control. You know, we have these wackos today, like Rodney Brown, who bark like dogs and laugh like hyenas and say that they're under the Spirit. Now, they're under a spirit, all right, but it isn't the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, and Benny Hinn, who's smiting people on the forehead, and they say he's under the spirit. No, he's not under the spirit. Yeah, he's under a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And they 
talk in language that nobody can understand. One other thing it says about them, they give utterance in glowing and exalted but intelligible language to those things which the Holy Spirit teaches them and which have power to instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, stimulate the hearers. But it's in an intelligible, intelligible language. In other words, people understand what they're saying. You know, these charismatic wackos today, they say things and, the, and, and nobody knows what to Oh, they're, they're speaking in a prayer tongue. You don't find a prayer tongue in the Bible. What you find is understandable languages. Every man heard the gospel in his own language, Acts chapter 2 says. They spoke different languages, but somebody understood them. They were languages of people that existed in that time. Intelligible languages. And these prophets in New Testament times, they did that. But again, one of the things that was, one of the tests was, it had to be in agreement with all the prophets. You know, they had to be in agreement with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God always leads us according to the Word of God. Now, in a sense... This is true even today. Go to Acts chapter 13. This is one of the examples. Acts chapter 13. And verse 1 says, Now there in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, does this happen today? Well, you know, we, we, we often say that we follow the word of God, you know, we follow the leading of the spirit of God based upon the word of God. So does that mean that before I can do anything, I have to have it explicitly said in the Bible. Now, where in the Bible does it explicitly say that I was called to preach? It's not. Where in the Bible does it say that Evan Francis was to go to Taiwan? No, the, the Spirit of God, through that still small voice, spoke to him, and the church was in agreement with it. And so in a sense, you could say, you know, that's, that's, that's what the prophets did here. Uh, but it is an agreement. Again, it's in agreement with the prophets. They are, the prophets are subject under the prophets. So, but that was, that was again, uh, the w- word prophets. And then the third thing we have here is evangelists, uh, some evangelists. The word evangelist here is means a bringer of good tidings and an evangelist. Uh, this, is an, this name is given in the New Testament, those heralds of salvation through Christ who are not apostles. Um, uh, that's, of course, Thayer's definition. And the, the word is only used three times in the scripture. Uh, and let's look at those. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 says, And the next day, 
we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which is one of the seven, and abode with him. Now, what do we know about Philip? Well, in Acts chapter 8, we're told that Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches the gospel, and a multitude is saved, and they're baptized. And what happens? A church is started in Samaria. That's what Philip does. He's an evangelist. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 or 5, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. See, what Philip was doing in Samaria was starting a church. He was evangelizing, preaching the gospel. People got saved. They were baptized, and the church was established. I was reading, Oliver Green has a biography. It's called something, something titled Something the Black Sheep. He was the black sheep of the family. He was, he was a rascal when he was young, a disgrace to his family. But anyway, you know, of course, he got saved and, and held. Uh, he was an evangelist. And he was talking about how they would go, often go into an area, hold prayer meetings for weeks in advance, and then begin nightly meetings, evangelistic meetings. And they would go four to eight weeks, usually. It varied. And usually, when they left, a church was started. And, and, and that was his goal. He, you know, he didn't go. He, he wasn't, his goal wasn't to go to this church and preach a week to me, go to this church and preach a week. He didn't, do, he didn't do it that way. He would go into an area where there was no church, or maybe a pastor had wanted him to come to an area and start a church. So he'd go into this area, and they'd, 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 they'd uh, uh, start cottage prayer meetings. They'd, they'd you know, invite people, begin to invite people and knock on doors and all that kind of thing and put out literature. And then they'd hold these tent meetings. And the purpose of it was to eventually have a church started. And this is what he said. What really changed all that was Billy Graham. The methodology began to change. And who Billy Graham, who sent all his converts back to the church or the religion that they came from to start with. You see, that's what evangelists used to do. They were church planters. And that's what evangelist, biblically, evangelist really is. But there's also another one, uh, gift here, and that's pastors. Uh, the word pastor is the word shepherd. Uh, it means the presiding officer, manager, or director of an assembly. Um, and I was think as I thought about that, you know, think about a, a, uh, a foreman on a job. He doesn't do all the work. He instructs and directs others to do the work. It's also, and he uses the word teacher here. Now, a lot of commentators say it's talking about the same person, and I believe that is true. The word teacher in the New Testament is one who teaches concerning things of God and the duties of man, of those who in religious assemblies of Christians undertake the work of teaching with the special assistance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to look at, again, some scriptures here, and... and uh, and the word teacher is used here in Ephesians 4, verse 11. But go to Acts chapter 
13 and verse uh, 1, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And this, this, this really just kind of struck me. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, which had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, it just says there were prophets and certain teachers. And the, and the thought came to me, were there no pastors there? You see where I'm going? I think the teachers were the pastors. Because pastors are to teach. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> and we'll see the same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. But he doesn't mention pastors. Or another word that's used synonymous with a pastor sometimes is elder or bishop or overseer. But none of those words are used. Instead of the word is teacher. Teacher. And in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Brethren, be not many masters. And the word master there means a teacher. And it's talking about one taking on, <coughs> taking on great responsibility. You see, a pastor is to teach. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, 2, he has to be apt to teach. The word apt means skillful. Uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 24 to 26, 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 and 26, several times, <clears throat> Paul, again writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, says the servant of the Lord must, much, must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You see, the world out there, the lost, are, are captive by the devil, and really they're opposing themselves. They're headed for destruction, and, and, a, and a, 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 a servant of the Lord has to be skillful in teaching them and showing them their need to repent, to be delivered out of the clutches, if you will, of the devil who has taken them captive at his will. He has to be able to teach. You know, it does take patience. As I said a couple weeks ago, sometimes I'd like to take a hammer and you know, hit you on the head. <laughs> Can't you see that? <laughs> no. Uh, must not strive, but be gentle on all men, apt to teach and patient. Uh, again, Titus, he wrote Titus in Titus 1, verses 7 through 9. He uses the word bishop here, must be blameless, as a steward of God, not self-willed. And, of course, that word bishop refers to the same office, the elder, the pastor, or the overseer, refers to the same person. 
Uh, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So again, you've got to be able to teach. You know, a complaint I hear often from people in churches is we're not being fed. You know, a pastor who's been preaching on revival for months. And then on top of that, he had an evangelist in, and he preached on revival. You know, people need to be faithful, and they need to be reading their Bibles, and need to be praying, and getting right with God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not every Christian needs revival. You know, a pastor can preach... You know, real motivational messages and emotional messages and get everybody all stirred up. But is that going to create a healthy church? For healthy growth, what does your body need? It needs to be fed a healthy, nutritional diet. If a church is always being beat up, it will not be healthy. Sheep cannot be constantly sheared. You know, I grew up, or I didn't grow up, I worked on a farm, we had, a farmer had sheep, few. We only sheared them once a year. Once a year. And a, a church can't always be high on fluff or emotion. It will not long endure trials and temptations. It will be let off by its emotions. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 2, he tells pastors, Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Feed. See, to feed means to tend a flock, to keep sheep. It means to furnish pasturage or food, to nourish. You ladies are not the only ones that have to plan and prepare nourishing food. Go to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm 23 gives us, a, I believe, a picture of that. Psalm 23. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a picture of satisfaction. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now, a green pasture speaks of a pasture that's full of nourishment, full of food. It's where I can reach it. 
He leadeth me beside the still waters. You know, sometimes I think in some of the places I've been that, that the, the preacher is leading us by a raging river. I was at a meeting one time, and this guy would shout and holler and, and run back and forth across the aisle, and he'd take his, you know, he was slobbering the whole time. He'd take his tie and wipe his mouth. Mom's going to have to drive clean this one again, you know. And, and, and I'm thinking, and, and they said, boy, that's good southern preaching. He was from South Carolina. And I thought, but there was nothing nourishing or of sustenance in all that hollering. But it was exciting. He got one lady to stand up and start singing while he was preaching. I guess that means spiritual, huh? But, you know, it's like one, one young lady said at camp years ago we were at. She said there was nothing I could put in my bag and take home that would help. in life see a pastor's to feed the sheep he's to teach the word of God the whole counsel of God you know the Bible again the Bible you know, gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness every issue that we face in life the Bible addresses that's why I preach through books of the Bible Because you get the whole thing. You get it all. Not just the parts you like or the parts I like to give you. It also, but it also requires more time. You know, it, it'd be easy just to go to the store. You ladies just go to the store and buy whatever's cheapest and put it on the table every day. And, you know, something that's already prepared. TV dinners. But is that going to be, is that what's best for you to eat? No. No. And so, these minister gifts, now I want you to notice, and, uh, and I'll just mention this, and we're going to pick up here next week and continue this message. But the purpose of the gifts then is in verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ the word perfect means completely or complete furnishing or equipping so the purpose of the ministry gifts then is to complete to or is to furnish completely furnish or to equip the saints for the work of the ministry the word work is means business or employment that with which one, anyone is occupied. And we learned this morning that we have a vocation. We're to be busy about the Lord's work. Uh, the ministry is serving and ministering, edifying, building up the, the church and promoting one another uh, and the body. Of course, that refers to the church. And see, this, you know, as we think about this, and, and I'm going to expand on this next week, you know, this is not my ministry, this church. Years ago, I was at a church. I was on deputation, and I went to this church. I had met the pastor sometime earlier. I knew a little bit of the history of the church. And I was talking to the pastor. He'd just been there like six months, and he said, uh, 
just last week, the deacon, and he worked full-time. They didn't give him much of a salary or anything. Um, but the deacons came to him and said, Pastor, you need to be doing more visiting. He said, I'm the only one who visits. Now, I don't think I got in the flesh, but I did address that in my message. You know, this is not the pastor's ministry. This is our ministry. The church is our ministry. We are to do the work of the ministry. The ministry gifts that are spoken of here are given to furnish or to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I was talking to another pastor just a couple years ago, and he said, he said, if I left, this church will continue to carry on the ministry because I've taught them to do the work of the ministry. He said, I'm the first pastor they've had that actually had a study in the church. Now, that's sad because some pastors do not study. But we are to give ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. And another old pastor told me this, well-fed sheep reproduce sheep. Think about it. You see, God has given the gifts for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Might God help us as a church to use the gifts, and as individuals, to use the gifts that God has given us to further the work of the ministry that he's given us here. 